0: It's great to be with you again. Today we come to the last chapter in our study of the book of Daniel. We'll be looking at chapter number 12. Now, the title of this chapter is The Time of the End. This chapter tells us about what is going to happen in the end times. We look around us now and the world looks often very dark, uh, very chaotic. Uh, There are a lot of strange things happening. Currently, I'm in my house under a COVID-0 lockdown. I'm not allowed to leave my building. Uh, the pandemic has, is causing a lot of issues around the world. So this is, is, a, is a difficult time for many. And we see in chapter 12 of Daniel that things will get a lot worse. So what is going to happen and what does that have to do with us and how do we have the strength, the faith and the hope to carry through those things. That is some of what we're going to be looking at today in Daniel chapter 12. So let's read verses 1 through 4. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. There shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book." And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. So he says, At that time shall arise uh, that time in chapter 11 verse 40 he says the time of the end so this is referring to the time of the end daniel 11 gives an overview of the Jew, of what the jews would face in the future they'd face hundreds of years of trials and turmoil and war and a vile person antiochus epiphanes the fourth would dominate and persecute them and he was a foreshadow of the final antichrist who is even worse and who is still to come the prophecy zooms forward to from the time of Antiochus IV to the time of the end, which is still future to us. So the 70th week of Daniel, that is the final seven years of Daniel's prophecy, the 70 weeks or the 70, uh, yeah, 70 times 7, the 490 year prophetic calendar unveiled in Daniel. This is the last seven years that are talked about here. And in those seven years, the Antichrist will rise up and take world dominion. And it says that it will be a time of trouble such as never has been. So this is probably where the term the great tribulation comes from. There's some other verses about that as well. The great tribulation. It will be a very, very difficult time. And it says that that time Michael the great prince will arise. Michael is one of the chief archangels. Here his role as the protector of the Jews is revealed. And we see another glimpse of this behind-the-scenes spiritual warfare. Angels are members of God's army. And as their commanding general, he assigns them missions. Michael's mission would be related to protecting the Jews. Presumably, God sends many angels around the world to different countries with unique missions. God's assignment of Michael to the Jews at the time of the end shows us that he is not finished with them yet. And he still has amazing things in store for them. Other passages like Romans 11 show us that God still plans to save a large number of Jews in the future. And this is a reminder of God's grace. Though the people of Israel have rebelled against the Lord many times in the past and have rejected Jesus as being God's son, he always preserves a remnant. And ultimately he will restore the nation as a group, though not every individual, to himself. So Satan will be working through the Antichrist to carry out his plans, but God is not going to be absent. He will be bringing his plan for his people to fruition. This will be a great, great time of trouble. Sometimes it's referred to as the tribulation. Jesus mentioned this frightening time in Matthew 24, 21. For then there will be great tribulation, Such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. This tribulation is known by some other names in scripture, including the great tribulation, the time of trouble, Jacob's trouble, the great and terrible uh, day of the Lord or the awesome day of the Lord. That's from Joel 2. This seven-year period will be divided into two parts, and it seems that the first part will be relatively peaceful and prosperous. Perhaps the Antichrist will come forth and solve some problems and be very popular. The second half will begin with the abomination of desolation. We saw at the end of chapter 11, and then things will go downhill very, very quickly. Revelation paints, paints a bleak picture. Uh, intense persecution will come upon all, all believers, as they will refuse to follow the Antichrist. War, famine, disease will run rampant, but the trouble will go beyond man-made disasters. God will pour out a series of 21, 21 judgments, the sealed judgments, the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, which are supernatural judgments upon the world. They'll be living in open defiance of him. Some of those will include earthquakes, oceans turning to blood, hail, poison water, Uh, extreme heat, extreme cold, boils, and much more. The scale and the intensity and the frequency of disasters will be worse than anything the world has ever seen before. For those who are alive in that period of time, it will feel as though the very world is ending. Because it is. Joel tells us that these things will conclude with the return of the Lord. You see that in Joel two. 31 the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the lord comes so why does god release these judgments and increase the trouble facing the world at that time if you want a detailed answer go and view our entire study through the book of revelation but i'll give you the short answer here and that is that god will use these judgments as a wake up call to show the world the seriousness of their sin and try to wake them up from their spiritual apathy and show them that they need Jesus. A person who is basically passed out and their their heart is not beating, in the hospital they use a defibrillator to charge it and shock them to try to shock them back awake again and to shock their organs into working again. And that's something like what those judgments will be in the book of Revelation. To shock people from their apathy, to let them know it's not okay to keep going like that way. And if you keep going that way, this is where it will lead. In essence, those judgments will give people a taste of hell, a taste of hell, so that they will want to avoid hell and not go there at all. It says, though, at that time, Your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. This statement gives hope. All is not lost. God's purposes run deep. He will bring these plagues upon the world in order to judge it. But that's not the only reason. It will be a wake-up call. It will serve as a warning for those of what is even worse to come if they don't repent and if they continue to live in their rebellion. Together with the judgments and invitation to repent will go out. There will be angels. You can see that in Revelation 14. There will be two special witnesses. That's Revelation 11. There will be 144,000 evangelists. That's Revelation 7. Believers who will be shining the light in the dark. And actually because the darkness will be darker than before, the light will shine brighter than before. Now hard-hearted people do not change their minds and trust in God easily. So the Lord will use these plagues to wake people up and to let them know the seriousness of their sin. There won't really be agnostics anymore. Now, I don't know if it's really true. People say they don't care one way or the other. You know, it's just not important to them. Probably this is just an excuse. But if there are any agnostics now, then in the future, there won't be any. Because everyone will see that God is real, that God is true through all of these supernatural signs. So everyone will be forced to take a side. And this says, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book will be delivered. The book, the book of life, those who place their faith in Christ will be delivered. Now, no, that doesn't mean that they won't die. Actually, uh, in the book of Revelation, it says that they will conquer by the blood of the lamb. And that's actually talking about those who are already martyred. So the deliverance doesn't mean you will be saved out and you won't face the results of the persecution, but it means you will be saved through and God will give you salvation and eternal life if you place your faith in Christ. Daniel must have been encouraged to hear this promise. Israel would face terrible trials over the centuries, but God would not abandon them. And in the end, his divine purpose was for her salvation. Huge numbers of Jews will be saved. Revelation 4 talks about 144,000. And those are probably the witnesses who witness too many more than that. The gospel will go to the world and untold multitudes of Gentiles from every tribe and tongue and nation will turn to the Lord. You can see that in Revelation 7. So we should remember God's faithfulness. Even in the darkest storms, He has a divine purpose. All things work together for good to those who love him now this tribulation will be a frightening a painful time Yet God will use it to bring salvation to millions you probably face trials as well God wants to use those trials in your life for good what is a diamond made out of diamond is made out of basically carbon the same thing that coal is made out of a diamond is made through intense heat and pressure our father does not seek to use trials to overwhelm you, but to refine you and to create something beautiful. So when you face trials, don't despair. Trust in the Lord. Remember, His love never fails. As Joshua said in Joshua 23, 14, And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth, and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed Of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you, all have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. God's promises come true. God will use these events in his people's lives for their good. So we come into verse 2, which is talking about the final resurrection. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The first is a resurrection to life and the second is a resurrection to eternal punishment. The second resurrection is described in Revelation 20, 12 through 14, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, books were open. then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So this is the final judgment for all the unbelievers of all ages who are gathered in front of the great white throne and they're sentenced according to their deeds. It talks about the justice and the fairness of this, that the books were opened. Okay, so this is not an arbitrary judgment. God will look at your actions, your words, your thoughts, everything you did, everything you didn't do that you should have done. Uh, everything will be considered. Your upbringing, your environment, your culture, your parents and their shortcomings, your own uh, mental or physical or any other uh, deficiencies or difficulties or handicaps that you have. Every single thing will be considered. There won't be anything left out. All the evidence will be right there in the books. And then a just decision will come down and that just decision will be there there will only be one way of escape from this judgment and that is that if your name is in the book of life if there's anyone whose name is not in the book of life they have to face the full punishment for what is recorded in those books now there's not one person who can open up all the books of the account of their their life their secret thoughts and actions and be able to stand there with confidence every single person will be ashamed of what they have done And it's almost after the books are open and then the next book is open, seeing if their name is there and the people who are standing there will know that their name is not there because they didn't want a relationship to Jesus when they were alive. They rejected a relationship to Jesus while they were alive. But somehow they will be almost probably hoping against hope that somehow their name is in there, but then when it's announced, their name is not here. It will be the worst words that they have ever heard. Their last hope will vanish. There will be no way out. Now, many believe that this life is all there is. And this passage in Daniel makes that very, very clear. That is not the case. We have a soul and our soul will go somewhere either to eternal life, eternal salvation at home with the Lord or to Lake of Fire. It's not nothing. It's not turning into dust. There is no reincarnation. There are two destinations which we can go. So believing that there's nothing after death is one of the greatest mistakes a person can make. When you know that there's something after death, when you know that a judgment is coming, what it means is that your life right now and your decisions right now are very, very important because they will guide your eternal destiny. They will guide the choices that you make. A person who does not believe in life after death will also not believe in judgment. And when there's no accountability... In no authority, a person will do whatever he likes to do. This person will desire to live his best life now. He will live for the moment. Self will be his king. Pleasure will be his pursuit. In the end, such a person will die without leaving anything behind of eternal value. And whatever he has earned will rot away and rust away and fade away. Such a life is empty and meaningless. But you don't have to live this way. God did not create us to live that way. He gave us a soul. We are made in the image of God. Though we don't exist for eternity past, our soul will exist eternity into the future. So the decisions we make in our life now have eternal consequences. That means that your life, the short time we have in this world, is packed with meaning and purpose. James says that we are but a mist, which comes and then vanishes. And then the psalm says, teach us to number our days. We need to know that our life is short so that we live them well for the glory of God. Don't waste your life. Make sure that your faith is placed in Jesus so one day when we face the judgment and the book is open, the book of life, and they say your name, what a blessed sound that will be. Your name means you've already been pardoned. You've already been forgiven. You don't have to face the punishment for your sins because Jesus already did then we want to invite others to do the same we want to invite others Uh, i was reading a quote from Penn, from Penn and teller that is and he said that he doesn't have any respect for a christian or a believer who doesn't proselytize because he says how can you believe in the reality of hell and the total despair and punishment that will go on there and then not Have enough love for your fellow man that you would want to tell him about that so that he can avoid it. How can we know about this resurrection? How can we know about what is going to happen one day that there is a life after death either in heaven or in hell and keep silent and be apathetic towards our fellow man, our brothers, our sisters, the people around us, our family, our friends. How can we keep silent? We should be like Paul and says, woe is me if I do not share the gospel. Thirdly, we should live our life for Jesus. We should build his kingdom because that is the thing that has eternal value. Now verse 3 says, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The world will get darker and darker, and I think we see it even in our lifetimes getting darker. And against a dark backdrop, lights shine brighter. We live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Our mission from the Lord is to shine His lights. Jesus told His disciples that He is the light of the world, and He also said that you are the light of the world. God calls us to be wise Christians, followers of Christ, to live differently than the world around us. Instead of pursuing pleasure and money and materials and fame and achievement and promotion, We should pursue Christ. He is our authority, our standard, our pearl of great price to follow the wisdom from above, not the wisdom from this world. The world is following, sorry, um, the world is falling uh, head over heels into relativism with evil teachings like evolution contributing to that. Similar to the time of the judges, people do what is right in their own eyes. Traditional standards of right and wrong are being eroded before our eyes as people celebrate sin in many, many forms. Sin is not only tolerated, but it is promoted, and those who condemn it are labeled as bigots and are persecuted. And against this backdrop, those who follow Christ live in a stark contrast with the world. When we uncompromisingly follow his standard, we shine his light to a lost world. No, we don't walk around with actual halos, although sometimes the light shines off of here and looks like one. But our actions show people in a better show people a better way, the creator's way. The word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and leads us the right way, and in a similar way our actions can lead others to the Lord. So let us seek to turn many to righteousness as it says in verse 3 those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That should be our goal, is to turn others to righteousness. Now, if a neutral observer had unrestricted access to watch your life 24-7, would they conclude that you are much different from an unbeliever? Would they know you're a follower of Christ just by observing your actions? We should be shining the light. We should be a testimony, a living testimony for Christ. That means our life has to be different let's move forward verse 4 tells Daniel shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end there are three or more interpretations of this statement one is that shut up and seal means to keep the book's contents secret it's hard to reconcile that interpretation with the fact that the contents of the book of Daniel are not secret and he wrote them and we are all reading it right now Uh, did he disobey did he keep it secret for a while but then release it Though the command is to shut it up until the time of the end, or did he keep some part of it secret that we don't know? It doesn't seem to me that Daniel kept the book secret since we are again reading it today. So I don't think that's probably what it means. The second interpretation is that that this command means to preserve the book to keep it safe. That is to shut up the words of the book could mean simply that it is complete. Nothing should be added or taken away from it. Similar to the instruction given to John at the end of the book of Revelation about not adding or taking away. So to seal the book could mean preserve it, don't change it, it's done, it's complete, keep it safe for all generations to read. Uh, In other words, the revelation is finished, you can put down your pen, the thing is done, it's written, you're finished. And then the knowledge from this book would be needed throughout all the ages This seems to make more sense to me. God revealed these things to Daniel for our benefit and the benefit of all believers throughout time. A third interpretation is that Daniel was to share the vision with others as is. He wasn't to go to great lengths to share the interpretations with others because it wasn't yet time to do so. In other words, he is just to say, okay, this is the message, but I'm not going to tell you more. I'm not going to give you more information or more interpretation Uh, It's not supposed to be very clear. It's supposed to be a little bit vague. So don't tell more than what this is. Also, perhaps that could be it. Uh, I'm not quite sure. Now, the latter part of this verse says, Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Uh, Some take this to be a general prophecy about the world and the future times. They believe it might refer to world travel or even space exploration or a general increase in physical knowledge. Uh, One cannot deny that travel and knowledge have increased exponentially in the last 200 years. However, reading this verse in context shows that there is a simpler and more reasonable interpretation. The Hebrew word for run to and fro refers to a person who is searching for something. Because Daniel preserved this prophecy, wise people in the end times will search his book for answers about God's plans. And as the world events turn sour during the tribulation, even more people will be sent to Daniel's writings in an, in an attempt to make sense of what they'll be seeing and to know what will happen next. Now as people do that, as they search for the truth, then knowledge shall increase. One purpose of the book of Daniel is to give insight and understanding into God's people in regard to God's plan. As time passes, more and more of God's plan is revealed. So the prophecies in Daniel will become easier and easier to understand. So we actually see in these decades and the last century or two that more people actually are studying Daniel and paying attention to it because it seems that many realize the end times are getting closer. What is the application for us? Well, we can be reminded of Acts 17.11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So like the Bereans here in Acts, we should look through the scriptures as a lens for understanding the world we live in. Our desire should be to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. So to do that, we need to study. When, we, when you look out in the world and you see all the chaos and you open up the news site or watch news on TV and you see all the bad news that's happening, what should you do? Well, you should search the scriptures for knowledge. You should put on the lens of the Bible and look through this lens to understand the world. And then your knowledge shall increase. I'll go forward, verses 5 through 12. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who is above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who is above the waters of the stream, he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time. Times and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days, but go your way till the end. You shall rest and stand in your allotted place at the end of days." Okay, so the very last passage in the book of Daniel, uh, he sees two others, probably two angels, and they are talking together how long uh, until all of these things are going to happen. And then he says it's going to be time, times, and half a time, likely a reference to Three and a half years. Time one year times that's two years, and then half a the time, so three and a half years. The same time frame is seen in many other scriptures. Uh, Daniel seven, Daniel nine, Revelation eleven, twelve, and thirteen all give similar three point five year timelines. And then it says that when the shattering of the people of the whole, when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Israel will be trampled and crushed throughout its history, but especially in the Great Tribulation. The final battle before Jesus' second coming will be against the Holy City. It and its people will be overcome. The Jewish nation will have lost all of its power and be on the verge of total annihilation, total helplessness. The armies of the world surrounding Jerusalem at Armageddon seemingly about to be wiped off the face of the earth as the Antichrist and his allies want to do. They will have seemingly no hope. And then it's at that point in time that Jesus will return and step foot on the Mount of Olives and he will wipe out all of Israel's enemies and all of his enemies. Now Daniel says he did not understand so for you, don't worry if you don't understand everything we've studied in the book of Daniel. I certainly don't understand. This is why many scholars have written many different interpretations. We simply cannot understand all of this is going to happen. I hope after studying this, you can understand more. We should understand more and more and our knowledge will increase. But total understanding and comprehension, we do not have it. One day we will see and we will know the very clear picture of all of these things as they develop but for daniel he also didn't understand and he says what shall be the outcome of these things the angel says go your way daniel for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end so to paraphrase enough questions daniel god has given you everything he's going to for now so the revelation god gave daniel was nearly complete Many of Daniel's questions had been answered. We see six chapters of him asking questions and communicating and getting answers and praying and messengers coming and all of these things happening. But not everything is going to be revealed until the time of the end. Then everything will be more clear. Verse 10, Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. In the end times, many people will be saved. Uh, Revelation 7, 9-12 describes a vast multitude of believers from across the world worshiping the Lamb. They will be in white clothes, purified by the blood of Jesus. But not everyone will be saved. Many will ignore the scripture. Many will not respond to the clear signs of the times. They will scorn the warnings and instead pursue a lifestyle of sinful Pleasure. There will be a widespread delusion as people are influenced by demonic forces and refuse to place their faith in Christ, whose existence will be undeniable. So it says, the wicked shall act wickedly. Those who don't want to hear, no amount of prophecy, no amount of, of revelation, no amount of signs will convince them. They will be willfully blind and willfully rebellious. Moving forward, it says, from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1290 days. This is a very specific prophecy. The clock will start, this 1290 day clock will start on the day that the burnt offering is taken away. Now, for that to happen, the temple in Jerusalem actually still needs to be rebuilt and the daily sacrifices reinstituted. In fact, uh, many Jews, especially Orthodox Jews, want to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. So at some point, that will be rebuilt. Sacrifices will be renewed. And then at some point, the Antichrist will come in and put a stop to all the sacrifices and actually uh, raise up this abomination of desolation. He'll probably, in the temple, declare himself to be God. He will, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He will uh, defile. The temple and make it dirty so that sacrifices will not be offered in there during the second half of the tribulation So when he comes in and does this in the temple and defiles and desecrates it, then there will be 1290 days So here in this passage, we see two different uh, numbers of days on this eschatological clock uh, 1290 and 1335 but we also see another amount of days given in Revelation 11 2 that is 1260 days now 1260 days is actually 3.5 years when you use the 360 day uh, prophetic year which is used in the Bible so what are these three different numbers what do they mean Scholars agree that Jesus will return 1260 days after the midpoint of the tribulation. That is when the sacrifices are stopped in the temple. The other two numbers, 1290 and 1335, are a little bit less clear. Uh, Many believe that judgment upon the survivors in the world will begin on the 1290th day and then will last 45 days. So basically between 1260 and 1335, there's 75 days gap before the millennial kingdom is set up. Uh, This could be considered something like cleanup time. The world will be a total disaster, uh, really, really wrecked by war, the incompetence of man-made governments, and the supernatural judgment. So there's gonna be a lot of cleanup that's going to be taking place, a lot of things to do. So a lot of this will be taking place, and then also many believe that there will be a judgment on the unbelievers who are left alive in the world. Uh, starting on the 1290th day, and then that judgment would last for 45 days. So it says, blessed is the one who waits and arrives to the 12th, 1335 days. So those who don't know the Lord would be sentenced in those 45 days. Only those who reach to the very end then are uh, allowed to come into the newly established millennial kingdom. So they will be the ones who are blessed uh, so you can read more uh, in some other place if you want to know more about these various uh, theories. Uh, let's go to the last verse. It says, Go your way till the end, and you shall rest and, st- and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days. Very interesting. Go your way to the end. Daniel had been given spectacular revelations. Uh, his mind must have been racing with so many terrifying and awesome thoughts about the future So he's given a simple instruction. He might be thinking, what am I supposed to do? What do I do with all this? Go your way. Do what you should do. Okay? The revelation, as exciting as it was, did not change what Daniel was supposed to do on a day-to-day basis. He was to serve God faithfully by obeying and continuing to be a positive influence in society. So we saw the the phrase earlier, uh, go your way, Daniel. And then here again, go your way till the end. In other words, enough, you know. You could get into this eschatology thing, into this vision thing and speculate and ask questions forever and never know until after it comes. So yes, study it, learn it, seek to understand, but at some point we have to take that and then go our way. We don't want to live in that future world. God calls us to be ready for Christ's return by living holy lives, obeying his word, And sharing with others about him. God gave Daniel a ministry in Babylon, and he was to go his way and do his ministry. The things he learned should hopefully encourage him, motivate him, strengthen him, give him hope, give him faith, give him endurance. All of these things, yes, but not stop him from doing the task which he was supposed to do. The same for us. When we study the book of Daniel and we study Revelation and we see what God is going to do, this should give us faith, hope, boldness, encouragement, perseverance. But we still need to go and do what he has called us to do. To be faithful to fulfill it every day of our life right up until the last second when our time on earth is up. Then he says, you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place. Daniel was going to go and have rest. But it wasn't yet time for him to rest. As long as his breath remained, there was still work for him to do. Hebrews 4, 9 to 10 says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has injured God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. There was a Sabbath rest for Daniel, but he hadn't begun it yet. There's a Sabbath rest for you too if you're a believer, but it hasn't begun yet. We're not in this world to rest. And just to wait and to put our feet up and put our hands behind our head and just relax until Jesus' second coming. He has put us here to work for him and to build his kingdom. The rest is coming later, but it's not begun yet. Just so you're clear, that doesn't mean we should never rest at all. But our life should not be primarily resting and comfort. It should be working for God. One day we will rest That rest will be similar to the way God rested on the seventh day. He completed creation and he was done with his work. It will not for us be a total absence of work. There is work, I believe, in uh, the new heaven and the new earth. But it means our mission on earth will be completed. We will have eternal rest in him. Now is not yet the time. John 9, 4 says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. We can still work. We need to work for his kingdom. So as we reach the end of the book of Daniel, we have seen kingdoms rise and fall. God's people, the Jews, were going to face all kinds of problems in history. Daniel himself was in exile and faced many of these problems. Kings rise, kings would fall, but God's kingdom endures forever. God's God is king, and he is sovereign, and he on his throne, and one day every person will face him and be judged for what they do. So let this encourage, encourage us not to be afraid when we look at the world around us, not to be disheartened, uh, not to give up, but to boldly, faithfully, confidently in him do his work. Invest in the eternal kingdom. If you are investing in the stock market and you can invest in company A or B, in company A, you knew its future and you knew that it was going to collapse in six months and go bankrupt. In company B, you knew it'd grow bigger and bigger and bigger until it became the biggest and in fact the only company in the world. Which one would you invest in? Obviously, you would put your money into company B. God's kingdom is the one that will endure forever. All of the others will collapse and go bankrupt. So let us put our time, our effort, our spiritual gifting, everything into building up his kingdom. It endures forever, as does he. All glory be to him now and forevermore. Amen. I hope this study in the book of Daniel was very, very encouraging for you. I hope that in some way it would uh, transform your life as you realize that God's word, every part of it is relevant as we study it And as we obey it one passage at a time. God bless you and see you next time. To see our entire library of over 800 Bible studies, please visit our website at www.studyandobey.com.